Welcome to episode 910 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 910 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. Uh, today we're having another Legends of Triathlon type of interview with Michaela Jones, the legend that is. And basically John and I sat down with her last week for about an hour, had a good chat to her about her career. Uh, and then John and I will do a bit of a recap at the end of the show. But just to give you an overview of Michaela's career, it's Absolutely phenomenal. Triathlon.org says she had over 175 victories in her career. She was a two-time world championship in the ITU, where she raced from 1990 to 2003. Uh, She was also the Ironman World Championship in 2006 and also got a second place there. More recently, she's been a guide at the Rio Olympics, uh, but it's only scratching the surface of what she's done at the sport. She's currently coaching at giddyupmultisport.com. But let's not muck around, let's get into this interview because it's absolutely phenomenal interview with Michaela Jones. Hey team, Bevan here. Just before we get into the interview with Michaela, we had a few little technical issues in the first 10 minutes with her Zoom connection. So I've edited out some pauses that happened and it might seem a little bit odd with some of the editing, but it's literally within the first 10 minutes. It only happens a couple times. And once we hit the 10 minute mark, pretty much from there forward, we're fine in the interview. So here is the interview with Michaela right now. Righto, team. Um, as you heard, we did a little intro earlier on, but didn't uh, spiel out too much of the stats. So Michaela Jones is our guest today on Legends of Triathlon. Uh, according to Triathlon Org, she's got 175 Jesus. victories across her career, which is pretty staggering. Uh, included amongst that is a, a sort of a world triathlon or ITU career that spanned from around about 1990 to 2003. Included two world titles, um, plus six silvers and bronze. Um, also, uh, one thing I will say is you don't want to take Michaela on in a sprint finish. I well remember the time where she uh, had a good sprint finish, 93 Worlds against Karen Smyers, um, amongst others. Also won an Ironman title in 2006 over in Hawaii, um, as well as a second. Uh, more recently, was a guide at the Rio Olympics, um, for the, at the Paralympics, and that's just scratching the surface of uh, many of the things she's done over the years. So welcome along to the show, Michaela. Thank you so much for having me. I'm definitely looking forward to this discussion. Yeah. It's a definition of a winner. Yeah, but it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> but what, you know, when I start doing research on these, you know, I knew, knew a lot about you before this, but prior to 1990, there's never any information at all. And I saw that you did do the, the World Triathlon Champs in 1990 in Orlando, and that was the sort of second ever World Champs. They had the one before that in... Uh, where was it? It was in uh, in France in Avignon. Avignon. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you went there, but tw- you're only 21, nope. and you're going to the World Champs <laughs> in Orlando. What what was the life actually looking like at that stage? You know, t- put triathlon to a side, but you know, you're only 21. But where where was life kind of taking you? Well, you know, I actually I did qualify for 1990, oh, wow. but at that time I was on the B squad, so basically you had to pay your own way. Uh, where how fantastic was a year later they uh because of the wonderful job that triathlon australia did they pretty much funded the entire team 
the elite and the junior team, like back in 1990. How wow, awesome yeah. is that, that? That triathlon had sort of just started, but it had already created so much interest in Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, so I started racing in 1988. I promised my parents I'd go to university. <laughs> so I had to do that. I finished that basically after the World Championships in 1990. And then I always had this dream that I wanted to, to to be in America and that's where the best athletes happen to be for triathlon. And uh, so here I was venturing into into the US to see if I could actually make a career out of triathlon. What, what did you study? Teaching. Oh, okay. And did you, did you ever have an intention of teaching or was like, I'm just sticking a box? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just ticked. But you know what? It's like, I think I'm glad I did it. Um, I think it has really helped me. I mean, teaching, you know, it teaches you a lot about how to read people, the philosophy, how people learn. Yeah. So I think like even now as a coach, I, I really believe that, that that teaching component has helped me in so many ways that I never would have perceived that I would have been a professional triathlete at that point. But that's when I started my triathlon career, basically at the start of university and my high school run coach suggested I do triathlon and it actually like, that's how I paid my way through college. Like I win $500 here, $500 there. And uh, it was a a nice way to make a little bit of money and not have to have a full-time job or a part-time job. Like some of my, my, the other students. And I remember seeing a picture relatively recently. I think you were at a world champ somewhere, and I'm pretty sure you were with your sister. Who, from memory, looks a lot like you. Was 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 triathlon like a family gig back then, or has she sort of got into it in later life? You know, it was funny. It's like because like it took me a long time to actually get her into triathlon, and she did race the world championships back in the ITU world championships as an age grouper back in 1997. And I believe she made the podium. Oh wow! But it's it's funny though because I did talk her out of doing an Ironman because she wanted <laughs> to do an Ironman, and I'm like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> and now I sort of feel bad that I talked her out of it, but like, yeah, because then you know now I've done an Ironman, and she's like, "Do you remember the time you talked me out of it?" I'm like, "No, it, I had good intentions." <laughs> oh god! And of course she's. She's a, she's my twin. I don't know if you yeah, know that. I, I, I but knew that you looked my familiar. identical twin. Yeah, oh, identical. Okay, yeah. wow. And she will tell you. She will tell you the three times that she's ever beaten me. Oh, nice. <laughs> Here's an interesting question because identical twins. There's kind of this attachment that you know everyone tends to know the identical twins in their community. Um, was it hard for her when you were having so much success because? You know, she looks like you. You're very successful. Was that something that you had to navigate? And how did you guys navigate that within your relationship? You know, it's funny because she's always been so supportive because she she will tell you, like, if I won, it was like her winning. Okay. And, and you know, growing up, something she was better at, at different things than me and I was better at, at other things. And then I chose this path of triathlon. And then, you know, to get, like, on the podium – for age group that is still for me like that's super awesome mm-hmm. like six just she just didn't have the same passion so I think the only thing like there's a couple of times where I think it it, it was doing like a 70.3 desk distance she was having a great race and this 
comes past her and goes, Kila, you're having a bad day. And she was having a fantastic day. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I sort of, and that's, and that sort of like is an example where you really feel like that's like, but I think she, she always like, you know, I stood that like I always tried to share a part of my journey with her. Yeah. The Olympics, for example, I got her into the Olympic Village. And of course, she got me back and embarrassed me. And then she decided to tell Peter Brock how much of a crush I had on him. I'm like kicking her under the table. One thing I did want to talk about, because I've I've had a number of people, and we had Craig Alexander on last week's show, talking about how you sort of helped him go over to the States. And we'll get on to all your racing later on. But in terms of back in those days, and I fully know this, was was minimal coaching, and you said you know you got that support from um, Triathlon Australia to go to the the World Champs one year. But maybe talk us through some of the coaching relationships or support people that you had in place, um, sort of through the nineties when you know in Australia maybe there was Brett Sutton sort of doing stuff, and there was one or two others. But but what what was your sort of deal with coaches and support crew? Yeah, you know, back then, you know, there weren't a lot of triathlon Pacific coaches and I think my mentality was coming off being coached by a high school run coach that was very much in, into short and sweet and I'm I'm glad that he sort of instilled that into me. So then, you know, when I started doing triathlon, you know, I come from a running background, even though my talent identification was race walking. I'm like so glad I did triathlon. Wow. <laughs> so glad I did triathlon. And, you know, I did well at cross country. I did well at distance on the track. But, you know, there was just something about triathlon. And, you know, I didn't come from a huge swim background. Yeah, I knew how to swim. But, you know, my first couple of races, I would come, you know, last out of the water. But having gone to Wollongong University, I was lucky enough that, you know, some of the, the best surf life, life-saving coaches were in Wollongong. And, of course, we had Dean Dean, uh, Dean and his brother Mercer, yeah. Dean and Darren Mercer at that time. That, and, you know, we were all coached by pretty much the same swim coach. So, you know, at that stage, it was very, very individualised coaches. Um, and then I had met somebody who... I eventually uh, became more of a cycling coach to me. Yeah. Um, and that really helped get my coaching up. And then in terms of swimming, you know, that was my weakness. So, you know, I've been through several coaches. Um, Dick Kane, you know, I, I went through his program. A lot of triathletes in the 90s were under Dick's guidance. Um, and then I had a couple of other surf life-saving coaches as well along the way and then I was lucky enough here in the U.S. to hook up with one of the really good local high school swim coaches nice so it wasn't really like I ever had a triathlon coach and I still did a lot of my own stuff and then you know I just you know here in San Diego there was opportunities to you know go with these run groups where you know Mark Allen was out there Paul Newby Fraser was out there Scott Tinley was out there they certainly did that. So if we kind of look at your your career sort of in a chronological fashion, you know, so you went to Orlando uh, and you finished in, in third place. Um, and fast forward one year um, when they had the gold 
Coast World Champs, and we saw on the boys' side, we saw a fantastic, it was like either four or five-way sprint finish, um, but you managed yes. to finish in, in third place there. So, you know, you were still really young at that stage, you know, I guess you were 21, 22, something like that. Um, what sort of changed within that that period? Was it just another year of racing, or did you do anything sort of specifically to go from 13th up to 3rd? Well, I think it was just, you know, moving to the US in, in 1990. That was my last year of university. And then, you know, I came over here. So I, I was racing against the best the best women in the world. At that point, it was the US women. Yeah. I mean, you, you when you look back, it's like, you know, those women at that time, you know, were like absolutely the the elite. So getting that opportunity to really see and be involved in it. And, you know, the, the first week I was here, I got injured. Uh. So it took me a while to get into the groove. But then by the end of the season, I started winning races. Yeah. So it was like, you know, that opportunity that like, you know, for me, the belief that is like, you know, if you want to get better, you go race against the best people in the world. Mm. And, and that's exactly what I what I did. Um, yeah, so back in 95, we had draft legal come into play and it was a bit of controversy at the time because some people wanted it. You had some traditionalists, you know, people like Spencer Smith kind of said, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go off and just do non-drafting races. Um, but it was kind of inevitable. I remember being at the Wellington World Champs and watching the um, elite men come in. Spencer Smith was like two minutes up the road, but then this pack of like 30 guys came in together and it's, it sort of became impossible to draft. So at the time, you know, you were at the top of your game and you were, you were winning races. You'd won in... Manchester and a sprint finish, as I'd mentioned before, against Karen Smyers. Um, I'm not sure why you weren't racing in 94 in Wellington. Um, but then, yeah, what was your kind of feelings with regards to where the sport was going with drafting versus non-drafting? Yeah, definitely coming from that more traditional side of on non-drafting, it, it was it was tough because, you know, you, you were succeeding so well um, at that format and then all of a sudden, you know, it changes. And, and, you know, I always believe that a good athlete will be successful no, no matter what. They, they adapt and they change. So um, I didn't race the world championships in 1994. Just, it was way too late in the season. Yeah. Um, it was November. I'd been racing all year. And then 1995, I wish I had a race because yeah. um, I'd actually, I was in great running shape. I was in great swimming shape. But it was just one of those things that it was, you know, I it was more like, ah, do I want to do this format? It's like the U.S. was still, I was racing in the U.S., of course, still, and the U.S. was still like drafting format. And then I think the big game changer was seeing that, you know, if you're going to grow the sport, you, you, you can't have that many people and trying to enforce the rules of non-drafting. So mm. I, t I totally got why. You know, they had to do it. You know, you had to make the sport more interesting. We were going to be in the Olympics. So it's like, you know, you want to be in the Olympics and you want to do well, you have to figure it out. So then, unfortunately, I didn't get to race um, in 1996 either um, just because of some sponsorship conflicts. And then finally, you know, I, I stepped up and raced in 1997. So, you know, it was it was interesting, you know. It's like I felt like I did a good job of adapting and changing to the environment. 
and uh, as much as I wanted to go back to non-drafting, but I still had that opportunity because here in the US there was plenty of big races. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if many of the viewers have heard, like some of the biggest races at that time was like the Escape from Alcatraz triathlon Yeah. Um, that, that I've won so many times. Yeah. Um, I think maybe eight times I've won that race. And then wow. there was like the Chicago triathlon which I've won like seven or eight times. And then there was the St. Anthony's triathlon that, you know, I've, I think I've won like eight or nine times. There was all these, like they were the big races that like everyone talked about back then for short course. And, you know, it it was, it was, it was nice that finally we were going to be in the Olympics. And that's when you saw me start to race more of the ITU circuit because you know, needed experience in that format. And I definitely wanted to be part of the, the the Olympic program. I mean, when I was growing up, I, I always wished as a kid, I wish there was a sport that I was good enough at. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, finally, you know, I find a great sport and then finally it's like, oh my goodness, we're going to go to the Olympics. Um, sort of in that period though, was it for you in terms of racing in the States and, and I know you, you won heaps of races, was, was it a financial decision going, I'm, I can maximize on my return here, um, I can do it in one country um, or was it just you like that kind of style of racing versus having to travel around the world doing, um, you know, just following, following the, the world circuit as opposed to the American circuit? Well, you know, I think it was a business decision and the, and the fact that, you know, I was going to be racing non-drafting and I love the TT bikes and I, I, I love what all that involves and in getting out and, you know, racing basically yourself a little bit because, I mean, that's how I grew up. I didn't grow up in that team sport environment. Um, from a young age, I was never involved in team sports. I was in, involved in horse riding. Um, so it's like I was such an individual athlete. But, you know, it was business as well because, you know, I had American sponsors mm. and the big the big races were in America. It's like you know, the international exposure is so different now. But back then, you know, the domestic exposure for me having American sponsors was super, super important. Mm. Well, looking back at that time before we kind of go to when you went to more of the ITU racing, uh, reflecting back on that time, what are some of the races that still have quite a vivid impact in your memory? Oh, I mean, I just talked about like the like the escape mm. from Alcatraz. Like, but, but any races just, in particular, like, any any years where you're like that was like pretty special. You know, you know, winning my first world championship, like, like that was like that's like a good memory, right? Like I'm like, oh my goodness, I just won this, and you sort of see me cross the line, and I'm like, did this just happen? Is this real? Yeah. And then you know to go back and do it again, it's like, you know, there was. Like n- nobody had really done back-to-back world championship titles, um, and to be an Australian female, you know, I mean, we had some awesome pioneers with Greg Welsh, Brad Bevan, um, to name a few. Of course, later on, Chris McCormick, um, Craig Alexander, Stephen Foster. You know, there's so many names that people like probably don't even remember. And, you know, even in some of the girls, like Louise Bonham, you know, she was one of the pioneers to race Ironman. Um, and there's been, like, quite a few. Sue Turner was one of the first girls um, that I ever raced in in, in the Amcal series um, and a bunch of others. And it's, like, it's interesting because now when I look back, I'm like, well, what races, like, were the big, big races before the Olympics? And it's, like, 
you know what there's there's so many ones that stand out it's hard to name like when you look back you go oh my goodness now I go I probably took it a little bit more for granted when I was like winning these races year after year but I think I'm most proud of that I was so consistent for a long time and I think that's if if I was going to pick a race I would go no it was the fact that I was consistent year after year uh, uh, not just one race but like a lot of races. Yeah, every race. If, if you look at McAley's <laughs> record on triathlon.org, it is it is pretty staggering. There's just like either a one, a two, or a three, pretty much all the way through um, with a few exceptions. <laughs> what's the self-perception like in that time? Because obviously you're very confident in yourself. Or, or, or I'm kind of curious, what's the ego slash kind of self-perception of self when you're in this place where you're kind of just so dominant? Well, you know, it's so funny because like, some of the girls were like, oh, it's so easy. You're just going to win today. And I'm like, you still have to win. You still have to swim, bike and run. And like, yeah. you know, it's like if I had a bad day, it's like it doesn't mean that I was going to win. It's like you still got to do it and you still put pressure on yourself. And, you know, I never took it for granted because I think triathlon is the most humbling thing in the world. And I think maybe one of the times I made it, you know, taken some things for granted. And it's like triathlon will turn around and kick you in the butt every single time. And that's what I love about triathlon because you've got to master the swim, bike and run and everything that goes on in between all that, your nutrition, you know, not being overtrained, um, not being injured, you know, feeling good on the day. Like that's the thing. Why is the Olympics so challenging? Every four years, you have to be the best you can on one day. It's like every other major event, the world championships, um, you know, you have to be good once a year. Mm. And now, like, it, the World Championship Series, you know, you really have to be good. And that would have suited me because I was always so consistent. Um, as But I was very consistent on those one days. For some reason, you know, you put me on a World Championship, I mean, I'm going to be in the mix some way, somehow. And I, I don't know how I did that, but I sort of somehow figured it out that, that, and I think that that early competition of like, you know what, understanding that you've got to respect the sport and know that anything can happen on any day. And I think that helped me leading into the Olympics because I learned very easy. I learned very early. It's like, don't change anything. If this is what you do at the smallest race you do at the, the local level, keep that at the at the international level. And I think that's, for some reason, that just ingrained on me. My warm-up was going to be the same. didn't matter what race it was. The media interactions were going to be the same. It's like, and I did a lot. Of, and I think that's one thing here in the U.S. I did a lot of media obligations. I did a lot of appearances. So then when it came to the Olympics, I was so used to that as well. And I think that took a lot of pressure off me as well. You're, you're a broadcasting professional because that was basically going to be my next question was, you know, you had really, <laughs> really good success going through 97, 98, 99, mm-hmm. leading into the Sydney Olympics. Um, I think you won both of the test events in 99 and 2000 in terms of what yes. was then the Sydney World Cup. Um, yes. And the, the, the Olympics, there was the first race was going to be the first event of the, the Sydney Games. You guys were favourites to do well in the males and females. I can't remember if, if the females went first or the males, but we went you, first. <laughs> you did. So I know you just you just kind of answered the question, saying you did everything the same. But I imagine there must have been a lot of hype and a lot of pressure going into into that race when you were one of the favourites. 
Well, here's two things that I want to share. It's like just through my life, through my sporting life, I mean, I had a high school teacher that totally like believed in me. My high school run coach, when he always used to say, will you remember me when you're famous? <laughs> and, you know, used to giggle, giggle, laugh, you know. But then I had another teacher was like, oh, you're just going to get a boyfriend. You're just going to give up. And I oh, was really? like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove you wrong. And then there's been times in my career that that has happened again. Like leading into Sydney, there was an article written that I was not Olympic medal material. And the my team around me like weren't sure if they wanted to share that with me, and they did. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to prove them wrong. And I think that's been part of my MO that it's like, you know what, if you say I can't do something, I'm going to try to do it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I thank them for that. At the time I was like, you know, pretty annoyed, but now I like look back, there's like been plenty of like along my career, there's been times like that, that it's been like, wow. But, you know, leading into Sydney in 2000, I mean, the, the women were, the Australian women were unbelievable. I believe we finished first, second, third, fourth, and fifth at the 1999 World yeah. Championships. Yeah. Like, like unbelievable. And there was a lot of pressure that like, oh, we were going to totally dominate. And, you know, it's like, it, it was, it was really sad that that was the attitude because one thing that, that I think the biggest disappointment that I had at the Sydney 2000 Olympics and it wasn't the race, it wasn't my lead up. I think, you know, I, you know, I think the confidence I get, I got because if I did well at a race, I, my history would show that I would do well at a race again. So I think the Sydney course really suited me. And, you know, there was a, a lot of stuff that happened trying to get that, that, those three spots. I mean, everyone was so competitive but, i mean it was so competitive australian women were like then going to in other countries as well mm. let's not forget that as well there was a lot of people who had second um passport state secondary passport status and they went there so there was a lot of australians trying to make the team not just for australia but for other countries and it was really really interesting to see how people responded to that pressure and I, as I said, you know, I think everything that led up to that race was like really positive. It was like, okay, you say I can't do it, I'm going to prove you wrong. It's like if I win on a on a course, I get confidence that I'm going to do it again. It's like I'm going to keep my same warm up, I'm going to keep my same media appearances, and so like nothing really changed for me. It's like I tried to make it, and I think that for me is one of the reasons why I was successful. And the disappointment came that after the race, like, you know what? I was so happy I won an Olympic medal. Yeah. I mean, would my life been different if I won a gold medal? For sure. But like, I love what led me from that silver medal up to even now. Like my life would have been, I think, completely different. But I love the fact that I can say that I won that silver medal and I'm proud to have won that silver medal. So what was the feeling when, when you crossed that line and you, you've won lots of races before <laughs> um, and your favourite and everyone will be cheering, like when you first crossed that line, besides what we maybe discussed in a moment, um, how did you actually feel when you when you crossed the line and you got silver? Was it amazing I've won silver or was it, uh, yeah, I missed out on something here? How, how did you actually feel? 
you know, it was one of those moments where even though when I crossed the finish line and I sort of like, you know, went down to the ground, it was just like, yes, I wanted to win. I would have loved to win, but I did everything I could on the day to win. So, you know, you can look back and judge. So like that one second when I'm like, I was so close, Mm. so close. But then I've like the realization, you'll see it in my face, the realization that, oh my goodness, you know, I still want a gold, uh, silver medal. Mm. I still want a silver medal. And I think that's, that is special. Yeah. Like you understand when you get a silver medal, how much better a a, a gold medal is. I mean, just the way (laughs) that people treat you and, and stuff. I mean, that's a reality. That's a reality in life that, you know, there is representation based on, you know, what place you get. But, like, I really was happy that I won that silver medal. You know, I won Australia's first Olympic medal of the Sydney 2000 Games. Like, how cool is that? Mm. I won I won triathlons ever silver medal for women. Like, how cool is that? I was competing in the Olympics for, for the first time triathlon was ever in the Olympics. Like, how cool was that? Mm. There were so many cool things. And the coolest part is all my friends and family were right there watching me, which never would have happened at in any other city, yeah. like to, in any other country. Like, yeah. like there were so many cool things. Like, how could I be disappointed? There was no way I was disappointed. And um, and, and, and I was gonna I was gonna say like the one thing that really disappointed me that we had a debrief a couple of days later with Laurie Lawrence. And I don't know if anyone knows who he is, but he's a very famous Australian swim coach. And he looked at me while we were having dinner and he said, he was giving a speech and he's like, even you, McKeely, are disappointed that you didn't win. And you know what? <laughs> if, he, if he had told me that now, I would have cussed him out so bad. Yeah, but yeah. I was like, in that moment, I was like, I was horrified. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he just said that. Yeah. It's like this is not swimming where you swim down a black line. We have to navigate swim, bike, and run, and the tactics that goes with that, and the opportunities that goes with you know whoever you're around at the time. And it was really, really disappointing. That was the one thing that I was very disappointed about. And it, and it, and and I was like, I was, I in the moment, I was just like, oh my goodness. But if he had said that to me today, I definitely would have cussed him out. Yeah, totally. Um, obviously, the way, it wouldn't have been disappointing at the time, but obviously, as it uh, panned out a few years later, um, the the female that won the race, Bridget McMahon, tested positive for, for EPO. Whether or not she was on it at the time, it's it's impossible for us to know. Um, did did that um, grind you up years later when you when that actually came out? You know, it's it's really interesting because, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and it's like, you know, there's now a question mark. And, yeah. and you know, it's like I, I can only control what I do. And, you know, as I said, I won the silver medal and, you know, I believe that's what my destiny was. So I'm not going to say, you know, it should have been something different. It's like I can live with every decision I made and she, you would have to ask her, for that and you know it was all it was really interesting because I mean everyone forgets also about who got third do you mm. guys remember who her uh, coach was Ma- was it Magali Mismo who got third or- yeah do you do you remember do you remember who her coach was no I don't know that 
Do you remember uh, an athlete named Lance Armstrong? Do you remember who uh, he yeah, coach yeah. was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah Dr. Team. Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Dr. Really? Ferrari. Yeah. yeah. There you oh go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was interesting times and, you know, it was the first time they actually uh, starting tested testing for EPO. So it was the first time most of us got the blood draw done before the race. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, I, I sort of look at it and I still look at it this day. It's like, but my destiny was win, to win the silver. Yeah, yeah cool. Good attitude. I truly, I truly believe that my destiny was not to win the gold medal. It was to win the silver. And to this day, I still look at that, that medal and I'm proud that I won that medal. Excellent. Have your paths ever crossed? Because she's back racing um, age group uh, stuff. And I know, um, did you, have your paths ever crossed since then? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, quite a few times. Yeah, goodness. Um, okay, moving on to 2004, you know, um, after 2000, was there that strong drive to make it to, to, to 2004? And I, you're going to have to fill us in what happened here because I was trying to find, <laughs> find out what was going on. And I was like, I think you won the test event the year before. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. And yeah, you, were, you, know. you were third at the Queenstown World Champs, which was uh, in yeah. sort of late 2003. So you're clearly still yeah. at the top of the game. Um, when I, I found an article about the selection process, and I was like, what a planet are they on with that process? And um, and I think you ended up being first reserve somehow. And I think Emma Snowsaw was like second reserve or something. I was like, what? Um, so maybe just fill us on, in on build, going through the 2004 Olympics. You know, we could write a whole book about this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we could write several on the, on pretty much every Olympic selection process for Australia. It's it's classical. I, I, I know, and I don't know if you guys know, but I am part of the Olympic selection process. Oh, okay, um, right. For the next Olympics, so now I'm going to be um, having having been selected, having been not selected, and having been a selector. So it's not a, it's a very hard job. Oh yeah. Um, and it's like you know, policy is policy, and you have to like ride that policy. But you know, I truly believe when I when I look back at that time, I I really believe there was there was just so much chaos in the mm. management of and the planning. It's like. One minute we were getting told we had to do the test event, that it was going to count. Um, and I believed it was really important to race the test event um, because, you know, you, you want to make sure you you know what you need to train for. I think that, that and again, if I if I did well, I knew that that would carry me on to, to, to giving me confidence um, if I got selected for the Olympics. And, yeah, it was totally ridiculous. Ridiculous! The fact that they didn't select Emma Snowsill, yeah. absolutely like, and and the selection policy was ridiculous because, you know, we we moved from having Olympic selection against the athletes that we were going to race against internationals, and then all of a sudden they're like, no, we want to have domestic races, That's which crazy. is so different from racing. Like, if I'm going to exaggerate it, like five or five, you know five people compared yeah. to racing 50 people the dynamics is so different and i just really b believe that the 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 management involved at that time didn't really understand triathlon yeah. i really believe that they were just i think so cocky and 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 so arrogant in 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 how they thought triathlon was progressing 
and they I think they really believed that you know my career was over and they wanted to bring new blood into it and you know I had um torn my calf muscle right before that that race in New Zealand at the World Championships so absolutely excited that I could turn around and 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 get third place um Emma and I Emma Snowsill and I actually got out of the water together and we looked at each other and go yeah let's work together let's go yeah. and you know she she was one of those athletes that changed the dynamics of of running yeah. you know she is the reason why people were running uh fast as they do these days you know she changed it she was so much better than everyone else um, so she, I, I believe as much as I feel I got ripped off, I think she got ripped off way more than me because I think she would have really succeeded. Mm. But again, you know, it's not, it was both not our destinies, mm. just not our destinies. And it was like, it's, it was like heartbreaking though, because it was like, I didn't perform well at, um, our selection. I'd train, I'd been racing all year and they expected me to turn around and be able to, you know, race that so the domestic athletes did really well yeah. where the international athletes who were racing international we didn't do so well it's crazy you know and yeah and it was just one of those things that you know it it wasn't meant to be and if i had a made athens i may not have done iron man so it's <laughs> just one of those things that you know i had to sit down and go okay i love this sport do i want to quit on that or what do i want to do and i i was lucky enough that I got challenged that I should maybe think about Ironman. Was that something you felt you needed to do? So you said you got challenged there, but you obviously you told your sister not to do Ironman. It's bloody crazy <laughs> stuff. And and you obviously resisted for, for a long period. You know, you'd had a, a long triathlon career up to that point. So w- was it something, was it curiosity going, can I actually do this or not? Was it something you felt I need to do this um, to you know, maybe cement my legacy or what was the motivation <laughs> to actually to actually go and do it? You know, I swore I would never, ever do an Ironman. <laughs> and, you know, I get told that all the time. But, Killy, remember the time I go, yeah, I mean, I didn't ever have my why. I okay. did not have a why. I really didn't have a why. I'm like, I love racing short. I'm a, I'm a speed demon. I'm not this big endurance animal. It's like, my, I blame it on my high school run coach, John White. Yeah. I'm, I'm a speed demon. So then to like go that mentality, it's like I'd been to Hawaii. I saw what, what it took to like get across that finish line in first place. It's like, I'm like, how, how, do, you, how do you ride your bike for 112 miles in a swimsuit? Like, seriously, it's like I could barely ride 40k in a swimsuit and then how do you get off and run i'd i'd never ran longer than probably like 90 minutes in my career at the most at that time but i think it was like at the right time to like hey you know what and you know it was risky it's like there wasn't a lot of athletes at that time who had transferred Mm. into into iron man racing and you know again i think the smart choice was just like when i moved here to the u.s in the early 90s if you if you want to do well, race against the best people in the world. If you want to do well, get the best coach. And that oh. was Paula Newby Fraser. Oh, nice. And and you know, she gave me the best words of advice is like McKeeley, just treat it like another training day. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I I mean, obviously my why was like, you know what, I still love triathlon. Um yeah, I'm definitely getting a you know, I'm not as fast as I used to, although going into Athens, the test event, I was actually swimming the best I'd ever had, running the best I ever had. 
but it's like I couldn't sustain that amount of intensity. So the Ironman sort of gave me an opportunity to, you know, build this big endurance space and I had plenty of speed. So it was sort of like the opposite of what we do now. It's like, hey, let's slow McKeely down a little bit, build that in strength. But, you know, I only had a short window because, you know, I, I was going to be well into my mid my mid um, 30s. So, you know, we're looking like, you know, 35, 36, I was going to be starting my Ironman career. So it's not like I was as fast as I was in my early 30s. So, you know, I had to fast track it. And fast tracking it was like, you know what, if you want to win, go to the person who knows so much and has been so successful over that distance. And Paul and Yubi Fraser was my answer. Lucky she lived nearby, I suppose. Yeah. Just just a a couple of questions on that. Did did you enjoy it? And what did you learn about yourself as an athlete that you hadn't learned through being a short course athlete? What did I learn that I can ride 112 miles in a bathing yeah. suit? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what, what I learned is, is, you know, it's like you, preparation is key. You know, I, I learned that, you know, you prepare well and, and, you know, whatever you face, you know, you've got to deal with it. And, you know, a lot of that learning comes from the training. And it was like every time we went out, it was like that new excitement. Oh, I've never done this before. I've never done this before. And, you know, nutrition back then isn't like it is now. Mm. I mean, it's just like you had to figure it out. Like I always tell people, like, thank heaven for 7-Eleven. I'd walk into that store and I'm like, ooh, what, are, yeah. what, are, what am I craving? Ooh, if I'm craving salt, I'm like, ooh, I screwed that up a little bit. Or it's like, am I, am, am I, am I craving like protein? You know, it was. it's always interesting. So... I mean, I think what I learned is that I'm much more of an endurance person than I really realized. Wow. I mean, triathlon, yes, it's it's an endurance sport, but, you know, Ironman's a lot more extreme. You know, you're going from a two-hour race to a nine-hour race, and I definitely, you know, after my first Ironman, it's like, man, I really I really need to learn a lot more about this because, you know, it wasn't perfect, although, I, I you know, I won my first ever Ironman in Florida, it was by no means perfect and it was no means fast. And yeah. I definitely screwed up my nutrition, but like the training gave me the confidence that, you know, maybe I could do this. And I happened to be training with Heather Fuhrer and Belinda Granger as well. Um, and I go, how do you run a marathon after all this? And, <laughs> and, you know, I think Heather gave me the best advice. She goes, you know, you just run from aid station to aid station. It's relatively straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you did you have the same level of enjoyment for the training? Obviously, it was really different. But you're not pumping necessarily going down the track and doing quarter mile repeats and what have you. Was did you did you find a way to enjoy the training, or at times was it just going to have to get this job done? Well, I think Paula was really smart because I actually was uh, doing some sprint races still. So I was doing these dance and women's only triathlons nice. as well. They were huge, so, weren't they? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, one of my first sponsors was Dan Skin. So, you know, absolutely awesome what that series has done for, for women's sport here in the US. Um, but, yeah, it was like she let me go and do some of these sprint races still. It's like, but, you know, she did hold me back a little bit. But I I understand why people love Ironman because you get addicted to the long stuff. Like, and, you know, that's the one thing that I really struggle as a coach now. I'm like, Yep, I know you're training for an Ironman, but you need to go and race. And yeah. people get addicted to the training. 
Yeah. And it's like you see a lot of Ironman athletes, they don't race a lot because they get so addicted to the training and then they don't want to like, no, I want to go train. I've got to go do my, my six-hour bike and blah, blah, blah. And Yeah, you do. And it's like you do. You get addicted to that long training. As hard as it can be sometimes, it's like, you know, that philosophy of like, oh, I've got to go and ride six hours. And that's the other challenge that I have when I'm trying to move athletes away from Ironman for a season. Hey, don't get so focused on that. You need to come back and, and, and improve that foot speed. So then when you go back into Ironman that you can actually go faster. It's quite so, bad yeah. to have that conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you obviously, Hawaii went, you know, first year you get second, second year you won and, and really dominated the dojo there. Um, and it was awesome to see. what In, in terms of post-2006, um, what, what did sort of racing look like after that? Because, you know, you had a second at Arizona, you went to 70.3 world champs in 2009, but sort of post the, the highs of Hawaii, what did the sort of career as it sort of was coming to the end look like? Yeah, I mean, that's the struggle, right? Because, you know, I was so successful at short course and then, you know, it was started to be successful at Ironman, but, you know, by that stage, you know, 38, 39, 40. So it's like, but I still love racing. Mm -hmm. So I still like, you know what? It's like, I still want to race. And then I just got, and then lucky enough, uh, Emma Snowsill was pregnant and they were the, that was their first choice to guide Katie Kelly um, mm -hmm. on her Olympic journey. So ah. again, Emma, Emma Snowsill, like, we're sort of like tied in our history. You know, she was pregnant. So then they asked me because originally they thought I was going to be too tall to fit on the yeah. tandem. Yeah. And so, yeah. So then I got this awesome opportunity to guide Katie Kelly. And I'm like, again, it was like one of those things, like everyone's thanking me. And I'm like, Don't, what are, why are you thanking me? No, thank you for giving me this <laughs> awesome opportunity to help somebody else fulfill their Olympic dream. And, you know, I know how special the Olympics is and, you know, I'm so glad that, you know, Katie, that I got to help Katie, like, get that Olympic gold because it is special. And, you know, she's going to be a gold medalist for the rest of her life. And I'm just so excited that I got to share it in that journey. And, I mean, it's not always easy, the Olympic journey. It's There's a lot of stress. Um, but, yeah, it was like, you know, that moment when we crossed that, that line in Rio was like I felt like, I was giving back because triathlon had given me so much and here, here it was, it's like, Oh my goodness. Again, first time triathlon is ever in the Paralympics. First time, you know, that, that P5 category, you know, Katie ends up winning the gold medal. Um, yeah. Just like so, so many fantastic memories. And, you know, it was funny because I, I, I said to, to Katie Kelly, like, she wanted to like continue to sprint across the finish line. I'm like, uh, Katie, this is, this is the one finish line that, and I said, you know, we, there's no one around. You have to like milk it up, yeah. appreciate it because it's a memory that you will forever, ever remember. Like, it's just fantastic. There's nothing like it in the world. I mean, I love Ironman finish lines. Um, ITU, but that Olympic finish yeah. line is 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 really really special. And and if you get the opportunity to 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 come across the line in first, 
Like I got the opportunity as an able-bodied to come in, in second and it still was much better when we crossed to win the gold for sure. George, I kind of rushed over your Hawaii win. Can you just tell us a little bit? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that insignificant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, that, that, that you won. That was one of the biggest events in the sport. Um, just tell us about your win in Hawaii. I got, exci- I got excited. I got excited about the Paralympics. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just talk, talk us yeah. about your Hawaii win. Okay, so Hawaii, it's like, you know, I'm on this journey. I punched my ticket at Ironman Florida. Um, I injure myself uh, going into 2005. I broke my hip at Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I haven't only ever run one marathon and I'm going into the Hawaiian Ironman and I've done no run training. And it was just one of those things that I, I had some good support around me. Hey, McKeely, I water ran and I still did well in Kona and spent a lot of time in the pool, got to do a little bit of running. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm at, at the front of the race in 2005, like very early after the swim, I'm like leading the race and go into the energy lab. I'm still in the lead just as I'm coming out of the energy lab, Natasha passes me and I'm like, my mind was willing. My body was not able, but like, I was so happy. I got second. I could have retired then. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, this, I can't believe I just got second at the Hawaiian Ironman. I mean, a lot of hard work went, went into it. Um, It was just, you know, it wasn't perfect in terms of my preparation and, I'm like, man, mate, I need to come back and win this. <laughs> so 2006, you know, it was like not the perfect like lead up in terms of like a couple of days before the race, um, my front wheel cracked because uh, the mechanic had uh, slipped on the steps and cracked my front oh, wheel. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, this has happened to me before because I've been to races where my bike hasn't even shown up. Yeah. Oh, this is only a cracked wheel and uh, Zip was, were really good. They supplied another wheel, but I was more worried about the decals weren't going to match. So I did peel off the stickers off the old wheel and make sure they moved. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Like that, that race, like, again, I had a pretty good swim. I got to the front of the bike pretty quickly and then, yeah, I mean, I, I I just kept being, I was in the lead and I was in the lead and I went to the energy lab and I'm like, oh, please, please, like, where is everyone? And then they were all concerned because I lost a little bit of time in the energy lab because I had to use the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, they were all panicking, I guess. And then, yeah, like, to cross that finish line, like, it, it was so special because I never thought, I ever wanted to do an Ironman, let alone think that I could win it. But like definitely having gotten second, it was like, ooh, I was so close to winning. So to actually run down that finish line, like it, it's hard to explain like what I what I felt. Like it's like I think it's one of the best finish photos that I've ever had though because. You can just see like the shock of like, oh my goodness, I just did this. I, I did this, uh, you know, compared to when I won my first 
world title um, at an ITU athlete, if you look at that and then look at this, you're like, you understand that as you get older, winning is a lot harder. Yeah. It's like, and and you appreciate more. And I think that's, that's what that title, like, I'm like, oh my goodness, I am like 36 years old and I just won the Ironman World Championship. Do you I think mean, you appreciate like, it more because of the stage in your career? Oh, for sure. Because like when you're up and coming, like you're like, oh, you know, it is a little bit easier. You're younger. It's like you like, you know, you know what to do. You have like consistency. And here I was coming into the Ironman. Yeah, I finished second, my second ever. But, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience racing Ironman and I was older and I and I wasn't as fast as I used to be. That's for sure. So, yeah, like all those things. And, you know, I didn't think I, I didn't ever think I could do an Ironman. And then to turn around and go, oh, my goodness, I just won this. I just won the Ironman, the Hawaiian Ironman, like, like the history of what this means. Yeah, like it's, it's very, very special. And I get asked a lot, Olympics or Ironman? And, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard one to answer yeah. because they have different meaning for different re- reasons. But, like to win in Kona and and being 36 and not ever wanting to do it and then finding a why and then actually being able to put all that together and 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 actually win like there's not many people who have won in Kona when you look at the list for the women yeah. it was mm-hmm. dominated a long time by Paula by Natasha mm. um and you know it's like look, look at Lucy Charles you know it took her a long time to turn around and, you know, win. She was so close. And then to finally win it, it's, you know, it's it's just such an amazing race to win. I think also um, like 36 in the mid-2000s is different to 36 now. Like the technology, you know, the understanding, the sports science, you know, like 36 was a lot older, if you get what I mean, <laughs> in, in the career. At, at no, it's stage. true. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, tr- it's true because, you know, I'd been racing since I was 18 and – you know, the nutrition, um, the training knowledge that we have now, um, the technology in in, in the bikes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the technology in the bikes, but the, the fit, mm-hmm. the fit these days is like so much. And the technology, of course, with the carbon plated shoes, mm. like, yeah, that has that that's all going to make you faster and have longevity for sure. You know, those, I mean, there's a lot of components to that, but, you know, that's how sport progresses. But really significantly is, you know, the nutrition, the bike position. You know, people are riding so fast because of the bike, the new bike positions and running so well because it's not the fact that they can just run fast. It's the fact that they can recover a lot quicker in training because of these carbon-plated shoes. Mm. Oh no, it's awesome! Um, and yeah, I love cool. it. I think it's, it's fantastic. It's uh, it's cool. Your, your attitude's cool because so often we hear from people who win Olympic medals, and and it's often that sense of relief. It's like, oh, thank God, I was able to do that. When, when especially when you're one of the favourites, <laughs> and it's really cool that you haven't got that same attitude with Hawaii. It's like, oh, good, thank God, I've got that off my chest. It's like I'm really celebrated <laughs> that. What what about sort of? Um, post triathlon career you know um what have you uh, you obviously then went on to to rio what what does life look like now what does life look like now well you know i i have a really good coaching business 
um, Giddy Up Coaching. Um, love. I never. I. I mean, I did. I didn't think I would ever be this much involved in the coaching aspect. Although, I must just say, being a teacher, I mean, basically, it's you know, teaching yeah. and coaching is very similar. Um, I just. I love that opportunity to share the knowledge that I've gained over the years, and I'd hate to see that lost. Mm. Um, and I and I and and I love just coaching coachable athletes. You know, they're like sponges, and to that that I see potential in them that sometimes they don't see in themselves, and to see them succeed, like I I, I really love that, and I still love racing. So you know, as racing age group, um, done a few ITU World Championship over the years and this year my my big goal is 70.3 worlds in tarpo oh, nice. uh, i qualified i qualified in december um in la quinta in uh, indian wells nice. super super excited it was one of those things was like mm, i don't i don't want to race anything longer than a sprint or olympic yeah and then i'm like i sort of got to kona this year last year and i'm like Wow, this is pretty inspiring. I'm like, hmm, I don't really want to do an Ironman. I'm like, and then I was like, yeah, I sort of, and then I had a, an athlete that I was, a couple of athletes I was coaching for Indian Wells. And I'm like, I started doing a little training with them. I'm like, you know, I'm actually having fun. Mm. And then, I, you know, I, I signed up a couple of weeks before and I'm like, I was a little nervous because I hadn't raced a 70.3, I think, for ugh, quite a lot. <laughs> I think it was yeah. like, was it like 13 years or something? Wow. It was like something ridiculous. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, of course, I got a new bike. So yeah. that helped. Yeah. yeah. And, then of co- and then, of course, the carbon-plated shoes. Like, absolutely love it. I mean, yeah, like, I, I really enjoyed it. And I didn't think I, 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 I would have a why to do it. And I have to admit, it was a little bit that, that sometimes I coach athletes. And it's like I sometimes think that, they don't realize like what I've done and don't sort of make this. I sometimes think that athletes that when you've raced so long ago that they think that you lose touch with what's going on. And I think sometimes as a coach, I like to stay in touch with Mm. what it actually feels like to actually get in and do something. Mm. So it was sort of like to prove a point, like, Hey, I can still race well at a 70.3 and the training that we do works, even though, you know, my athletes, you know, usually do very, very well. It was just like, well, let me see. I'm going to train myself and see what I can do. And uh, yeah, just had like a fantastic day. I ended up like third um, amateur overall, not bad for a 54 year old. Yes. Um, Just one question I always love to ask these types of interviews is if, if how would you like to be thought of as an athlete in your career? You know, I was just watching a video on somebody um, who got asked this exact question the other day. And, uh, you know, I I think my legacy, I mean, I have such a, I already have such a huge legacy just based on my race results. I mean, that's a given, right? Mm, But, you know, and, you know, and a lot, and, you know, because of social media and stuff, it's like my legacy sometimes isn't known by the newer athletes out there for sure because like it's a different world but I think what I would like to be known for is my adaptability 
I think the fact that, you know, you know, again, my results will say that, but, you know, yeah, like I mastered ITU racing. I mastered the Olympics. I mastered Ironman. I, I mastered Xterra, you know, but I also like, I I feel like I'd love people to remember all the times that I've given back, hmm. you know, the, the opportunity that I got to give back to Katie Kelly the opportunity that I, I I get to when I'm out there coaching, the the opportunity to share the passion that I have for triathlon. I I hope that people recognise that you know because sometimes I do get I do get a a, a little bit um, I guess not annoyed but like sometimes frustrated when it's like and even my twin sister will say this it's like it's not fair that you get to race age group, you were a pro. And I'm like, no, you guys should be like happy that I still want to race mm-hmm. triathlon, that the passion still fires me, that there's not a lot of like professionals that continue to the age group. And like, I totally get it. Like there's burnout. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't train like I used to. So, you know, it's quite humbling because, you know, it's like if, if you get beaten, it's like, you know, well, you know, they deserve to beat me because I don't train like I used to and I don't want to train like I used to. It's like, I want to train that I'm happy with, like, I'm doing what I want to the level that I want to do it at. So I guess that's, that's the legacy. I think that's the big legacy that, that people appreciate the passion that I have for triathlon. Yeah, consistency was pretty very impressive. And as we've said a couple of times, we had Craig Alexander on the show last week and just mentoring people like him and Macca. And uh, maybe they wouldn't have got to where they did without having you over there in the States. So bloody impressive. So guys, if you want to go and check out um, <laughs> Michaeli's website, giddyupmultisports.com. And I would urge you, if even if you do Ironman, you've never done a bloody Olympic distance in your life, sign up to triathlon uh, live triathlon.live triathlon live you'll, you'll find it and all they've got the archive of all the old world championships and you'll be able to see mckaylee racing in 93 in particular um <laughs> in manchester and uh basically all all the other races all the world champs have, they've got all the not the whole series but they've got all the individual world champs which is what it used to be and then obviously you'll be able to go and find um ironman coverage on youtube no doubt of uh, the the races you had over there so Awesome. It's been great having a, a, a walk back down memory lane and um, and hearing about all the great stuff you've done over your career. So really appreciate your time, Kaylee. No, thank you so much. It's been awesome sharing it and I hope everyone enjoys our, our conversation. And, and I just hope if you've never done a triathlon that you take the challenge on. And if you are a triathlete, it's like continue to find the passion that, that, that makes you want to get up in the morning and and makes you want to get on that start line. And hopefully I will see you out in the race course soon. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. What's your thoughts on the, the, um, the drug thing regards to, now just so you guys know, we haven't, that we're doing this interview after we've done this bit. So we're sure it's been a great interview, but just going back to the drugs at the Olympics, because from my recollection, she got sick in, in Sydney. Is that correct? Yep, correct. And the girl got done for drugs later. Later in her career, yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's a hard one, isn't it, that it one, is. eh? Yeah, I think when you're this far into your past it, oh, I'm sure she's probably bridge, but... get over it, but <laughs> you certainly feel entitled to be a bit bitter for quite a period. Yeah. Um, yeah, tricky one. Real tricky one, These days, it? slightly different, because, you know, you can do a lot of retrospective um, yeah. 
sort of analysis. But yeah, tricky one. But man, she had a just an amazing career um, that just kept on delivering. And I remember the year I did Kona the first time, which was the year she got second in was Hawaii. It 2005, wasn't it? 2005. Yeah. And I... I was just a bit cocky thinking I'm just, you know, I'll do okay here. I'm not expecting to do well in Hawaii yep. by pro standards. But, you know, my benchmark back then is as long as I'm sort of beating the first female, I'm probably going okay. And people yep. go, that's a bit sexist and it is. But, like, that's sort of the benchmark. Like, yep. I'm going, if I'm around about there, I've probably gone all right. And uh, and I never saw her all day. <laughs> oh, was, really? Like, Because uh, Batman wasn't, didn't it? She did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But I came off the bike, and I've probably told this story before, with Natasha Badman, and I had my sort of pacing schedule um, that I was going to try to run to, and it was going to give me a reasonable run split. I think it was I was pitching for three hours, which was probably a bit delusional given where (laughs) where I was at. But I thought, you know, if I can run sort of two fifty five to three hours, that'll be that'll be honest. I'm taking off, and she just drops me (laughs) like a hammer Um, (laughs) in that high cadence, yeah. (laughs) And didn't see her all day. And then she eventually, as you guys heard, um, caught Michaela Jones. Um, but then the following year, Michaela Jones turned around and, and won the race. But yeah, no, those, those two were well in front of everybody else. Pretty impressive, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Um, okay, team, so that's, that's Michaela Jones. So next week, we're going to be back to the normal show. Mm-hmm. We even have a discussion of the week, you know, all the, all the normal segments. But well, let's wrap it up right now, John. Let's say thank you to three of our patrons. Murray the Holy Hammer Lapworth, Phil the Philinator Patterson, and Fred the Linebacker Lutz. The linebacker Lutz. I should actually give the Philinator a new nickname. Oh, why is that? Because I should call him like the innovator. What is this? Uh, I saw a picture that wrongly got me tagged in from Hawaii because uh, he was basically wearing the same outfit as me. He had I am okay. talk gear on and a long white sleeve, and somebody had tagged in it, John Newsom, and it, and it wasn't me. It was the Philinator. Yeah. Um, but he had a drink bottle down the front of his top because we were wearing these like long sleeve skins top. Yeah. He had the old drink bottle down the top, which everyone's now doing is like but a fear. He was before his time. He was before his time, getting the aerodynamic advantage before he even knew it was aerodynamic, but. Maybe he did. Maybe, maybe he's, well, he's an engineer. He is. You know, so he's the kind yeah. of guy who's going to think like that. Yeah, so there you go. Philinator, you're the innovator. Phil, the Philinator innovator. It's an extension. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get a cool nickname like the Philinator, the innovator, <laughs> you become a patron of our show by going to www.iamtalk.me. It's a good way to support the boys and what we do by releasing a show for you each week. Uh, if you want some coaching or anything that John does, go to coachjohnson.com. Also, that's Epic Camp if you want to do one of his camps. That's epiccamp.com. Anything I do, bevanjamesisles.com or any content, iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. What's the next adventure then? The next adventure. It seems to be a new thing in your life in the last couple of years, isn't it? Yeah, a bit, of tr- bit more tramping. Uh, we've got the Paparoa coming up in May. To the start of May, we're going to walk the Paparoa, which is another one of the great walks. We're ticking them all off. Where's the Paparoa? Uh, it's on the west coast of New Zealand. Oh, okay. And then the other one I want to do during the summer is go and uh, run through the Coast to Coast Run with a couple of guys, oh, yeah. uh, which I've only ever done once before. But know the so, tracks. That's the key. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you don't, but it's a pain in the ass if you don't. Mm-hmm. Because there's basically you can basically follow the river all the way up, mm. which is trekking up big boulders, mm. or you're stuck in this little bit right up there yeah. and you miss it all. Yeah, yeah. So. But if we, we're probably going to do it um, after coast to coast, so the tracks will be a bit more worn and be a bit a little bit more obvious. Yeah, yeah. But as Bevan said, it's not really. It is running, but it's uh, there's a lot of uh, speed walking and climbing over boulders and walking through rivers and stuff. It's good yeah. times. Oh, it's a great run. Come along, your knee will be fine by then. <laughs> and it's taking. Unfortunately, my knee's just taking a bit longer than I hoped. Yeah. You know, like it's. I'm. I'm being impatient, 
Yeah. But it's, it's only five weeks ago. Um, but I kind of want it to be better now. Mm. I'm ready for it to be better. I'm ready to start running. Mm. But I don't think it's... I think I'll probably be running for another couple of months. Yeah, bugger. Mm. But that's right. Any gigs coming up? No, no. What's 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 happened in my life, John? Um, nothing nothing really exciting. Mm. I need to, that's what I need to come back with. One thing I would do, I want to do Old Ghost Road as a mountain bike. Yeah, Have you yeah. done that? No, but that'd be great. I've, I've walked just a teensy bit of it, but it's fantastic. How hard would it be to mountain bike? Um, nah, you'd be fine. Over yeah. Couple, how many days? Uh, mountain biking, I think you're doing it in three. Okay. Yeah, comfortably three. It's only 80, 80 90 k's. Yeah. It's like you drive over, do a short section, bigger middle day, shorter last day. Yep. I think you'd tramp it in four. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I'm quite keen to. I want to do some like some adventures this year. Nothing too crazy, but just like some stuff like that. Mm. So I might plan to do a great. I got well, and you probably couldn't do it in winter, would you? It'd be crazy because it's always yeah, weird on the coast. Yeah, no, you wouldn't want to do it in winter. You could tramp it in winter, but um, not mountain biking. No, they had the race here a few years ago, and quite a few of our runners went and did it. It's an ultra, yeah. Big ultra and just a mud bath. Yeah, yeah, like it was an absolute disaster. Yeah, like literally up to your ankles for yeah. like a, for an ultra. Yeah, yeah. I don't think many people actually finish it. Yeah, it was the craziness. You get yourself a bike. I'll take you out on a few rides. I teach you the rides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I need to. I do need to develop my skills because mm-hmm. I don't really have mountain bike skills, mm-hmm. and you do need. Yeah, a few for that. Yeah, just yeah, just so I don't break my bloody collarbone. Mm. You know. Mm. Okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Edo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.